if my legacy is to inspire the next generation of creators, and that's what it is, and not even just art. I said, whether you want to dance, musician, architect, you have to create. I tell them it doesn't end on canvas. I forged a career in corporate America based on my creativity, my ability to solve problems. And it doesn't end on canvas. So the same creativity I use in art, you use in life. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Think about your legacy. How would you be remembered after your long, blessed art life? I'm talking many, like way down the line, way yonder from here. <laughs> How would you like to look back and judge your time? Today's guest, Reginald Laurent, is a prolific abstract artist and sees his legacy developing right now after working for years at his corporate gig, making all that work in his free time. And now as a full-time artist, he feels he's building his true legacy Beyond just the art, Reggie sees his teaching engagements with the kids all over the country as a way to connect with and inspire the next generation of artists and problem solvers. We talk about his art, how he thinks of abstraction, his understanding of color, being God-led as a creative. And we talk a lot about his teaching engagement because that's what gets him going. He loves it, so I love it. <laughs> He's excited. You can see it in his eyes and his body. Uh, I post a video on at Studio Noise Podcast on the IG so that you see what I'm talking about. But it's good to see that excitement and passion in people working with the babies. You know, JB, love the kids. It's more of that good talk on the noise, studio noise, the voice of black art, bringing you the best in contemporary black art, right from the mouths of the artists, the scholars, the collectors, all the people that make it possible for us to do this thing that we call art. You can head to www.studionoisepodcast.com Check out the archive of all the people that you want to know and you need to know. Listen, subscribe, rate and review Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to this podcast. Join the Patreon if you really like what you hear. Go and slip your boy a couple of dollars. I'll make sure to keep this thing going. Keep building this archive of the best contemporary art voices. Did y'all go out to see that Black Art America gallery last week? It's the grand opening. They got an amazing spot out there so you can see all the art and everything they got going on at Black Art in America. Go ahead and make you some time if you're on your next trip to Atlanta over there by the Tyler Perry Studios. Just go ahead, a little past Tyler Perry. It's 1802 Connolly Drive East in East Point. It's right there. They have the Dr. Samella Lewis Gallery, named after our recently departed elder. You know, prayers up for her. Rest in peace. The Frank Frazier Gallery. Frank Frazier's been on the art scene for like 60 years. <laughs> so everybody know him and seen his artwork. And these galleries are dedicated to these huge figures in black art. So you already know right from the beginning what the vibe is going on over there. It's a great place for y'all to go. They got the garden, they got the deck, they got all kinds of stuff. So you make sure you stop on by there and check it out. You can go to blackartamerica.com and see more about that. And so right now, right now, right now, what I need you to do is go ahead and turn this up. Roll your windows down. It's the summertime. You can do that. Roll your windows down. And at the next light, I want you to turn to your neighbor and yell at him. It's the noise. And after the break, we're back with Reggie Laurent right here on the noise, baby. Yes. 
This is Rasko Hall, chef, artist. You listen to Studio Noise. All right, it's your boy Jay Barber, Studio Noise, the voice of black art, always bringing you the very best in black art, black contemporary art that you can possibly find. Live in the studio today at Midtown, I got one of the OGs came to <laughs> holler at your boy <laughs> down in the studio. Got him in the studio. Mr. Reginald Laurent, welcome to the studio, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. First time I've ever been referred to as an OG, but in retro, I guess I am an OG. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. You've been doing it a long time, man. I have. I long have. time. That's what's up, man. So Reginald Laurent, he's a, a abstract painter. He does so much more than that, though, and we're going to talk about it today. You can find him at laurentoriginals.com, at laurentoriginals on Instagram. Uh, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. Yeah. I tell people every day, I'm like the luckiest dude walking around. I'm doing my passion every single day, so I'm doing great. That's what's up, man. Yeah. And I we caught up with you again, because I've known you for a long time. Yeah. But we caught up with you again at your show at the Aviation Center, which was a fantastic show. Man, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. You debuted some old work and some new work, man. Your new work is mad interesting. We definitely going to talk about it. Um, but you also recently was in a show curated by Natasha Chambers yes. at Future Gallery. Yeah. Like that went good for you. That was with these hands. Yes, that was a good show too. Yeah, and you had a sh- and then you have a show coming up at Stonecrest Mall. We were just talking about with Kevin Cole, uh, brand new space being built out facility. Like this is yeah. an interesting show. Tell me a little bit about it. It's going to be interesting. Um, this is something that came up. Um, and you know, respectfully, Kevin Cole has been a mentor to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he reaches out to me with shout out to Kevin Cole, yo, after so, Cobra, huh? good, good brother, man. Good he brother. is a good brother, yeah. man. Like I said, he's a you know, I always plot the steps into how I got to know people, how I got places, and he's a cog in a lot of things that propelled me to meet certain people, get certain shows. Respectfully, the show I just did at Aviation Center, um, he introduced me to that art center through Tisha through a show that we did with him. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's uh, I, I, the name of the show eludes me right now, and I'm embarrassed to say that, <laughs> but this came about, and Kevin is me, Kevin Cole, uh, Derek Phillips, Sean Haynes, Tony Lodeholt and Zarek Clinton. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good, yeah. good so brothers in the show. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And more will come out. I'll ask Nicole. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, they should, something should be coming out pretty soon. They're working on a book. Nice. Uh, you know, it was delayed. This was supposed to actually initially happen in February, but there were some things that came about. And uh, so it got pushed back to, to June. And um, it should be a nice opening. There's going to be an artist talk. And I really wish I could afford you more information. I will follow up and send it to you after the fact. Oh, that's up. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll update it. But it's interesting because you said it's in Stonecrest Mall, like the being renovated or something. Like this is that's what the interesting yeah. He part acquired is. Yeah. a certain amount of square footage, and he has purposed it for an open air art gallery and for other things, not just that. So it's not just a, a gallery; it's a multi purpose uh, area. But the art is going to be a big part of it. So uh, it's interesting. I'm glad to be part of anything that's, you know, innovative, unprecedented. And uh, like I said, highly recommended. I'm, I'm with good people and I'm expecting it should be a good turnout. Uh, that's going to be a busy weekend. Oh, yeah. It should be really Oh, yeah, fun, for man. sure. Yeah, for sure. That's good stuff, man. And so we talking about your work, man. Mm-hmm. If anybody knows your work, they know it's abstract, it's colorful. Yeah. It's playful. It is. Like, that's what you do, man. Yeah. Like, tell me how you got to that point in terms of and in choosing this abstract way of thinking about stuff because you know we render the hell out of stuff <laughs> we teach rendering so yeah. much in schools and 
everywhere you go, everybody's trying to be so realistic. Yes. You went the opposite direction. And I think it's, it paid off for you. Yeah. It's, that's a, that's a phenomenal question. And, and, and one I can elaborate on, um, the style you're referring to, especially, you know, what my DNA series style. And it is because I am, as Charlie Palmer told me, I am God led. I ain't self-taught. I'm God led. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie Palmer. For yes. that. That's a tidbit that I'll carry with me forever. And uh, what you're looking at, man, is an exaggeration of childhood doodles. Mm. Now, it took me a long time to figure out where it came from. I just know I have this seed in me and this is what comes out. Um, I do know that that seed could not grow on concrete. I'm from Chicago. So when I moved from Chicago to Atlanta, art wasn't a part of my life. I had never painted. The thing that prompted me to start painting initially was nature. Mm. I saw my first fall here in Atlanta and I lost my mind. I saw colors <laughs> that I had never seen. So right. what a lot of people don't know is where I started, my foray into art as a hobbyist was I wanted to paint landscapes a la Bob Ross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a fro at that time. I used to, but <laughs> I got them now. May you rest in peace. But really, I started out innocently painting landscapes, wanting to replicate nature and, and got fairly proficient with it in a short time. And then my abstract, I mean, my landscape started to take on abstract features. And that kind of morphed into an art style and is organic. And that's, that's what my art is. It's very organic. It's geometric and organic shapes, the foundation of all art. Uh, being God-led, I don't have the voice of uh, anyone in my ear telling me what to do, suggesting anything. So I self-navigated all of these processes. And at the end of the day, when I look at what I call my DNA style, which is what everybody knows me by and is what, you know, teachers follow me and teach at my core, that's who I am. So when you say, how did I choose this path? I'm not so sure that I did, Jamal. Mm. When something is innate and organic as this is in me, um, I just have the capacity to create and whatever the medium is, uh, I am a master colorist deemed by William Colvin. Dr. William Coven, and I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> if he said it, then yeah. I am it. But I have a relationship with color. And I can't really explain it. I kind of know what works. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, in my narrative, I say my objective is to make all colors exist harmoniously on canvas, something that we can't do on earth. Right. And we got this covering over our skin yeah. that dictates what color we are, which I don't think today no one has control over. But if you look at all of the problems in the world, it's like it comes down to something as simplistic as that. And right. I'm like I live in an environment where I can take every color in the world and live harmoniously. Um, you know, if I can do it on canvas, why can't we at some point learn to do it on Earth? And I'm not trying to oversimplify and that goes a lot deeper. Uh, but when it comes to color, uh, I treat it, you know, like, OK, you're your own thing. And, and in my style, with all of the movement and the energy, um, each individual thing that I put down is an individual. None of the shapes intersect. Um, they're all individual paintings on their own in some respect. Mm. And a lot of thought goes into them, even though it's a very simplistic style, there's so much thought that has to go into adorning each shape and the placement and things like that. So that style incorporates all of the elements of art. And that's why teachers over the years have gravitated to it. And they use that as a foundation to teach their students. My unintended legacy. I know that's, we'll talk about that. Oh, yeah, but yeah, we're going to get to that. This has just been an amazing thing that's come full circle. Um, and I call it the domino effect. Uh, Adrian Fletcher, the Fletcher Collection, Adrian and his wife just acquired a piece from me, and I sent him the narrative. And it has a lot to do with, I'm sitting here with you right now because I saw you at Najee Dorsey's on Saturday. Right. And as a result, here I am. 
Um, and things like that happen. I said, every time I do one thing, it causes something else to happen. It's dominoes that just keep falling and falling, and it's a good thing. Um, one art style I started doing in paint, I now can translate, and I, I do it in paper collages for kids. And as you've seen, I'm doing wooden assemblages that also resemble my work. It's the domino effect. Every style, everything I do breeds something else. And it's never ending. Yeah. You know, and it's cool. I love that. Yeah. And I love this, this God-led philosophy that you have where, like, yo, just follow the instincts. Like, what you, what you feel like is right to do is right to do. Yeah. Like, you know, and just is. go with it. I don't have a template. No one I copy. I get a ton of advice. And respectfully, a lot of it, some of it I take, some of it I don't. Because at the end of the day, I want to be true to myself and I want to create what I have. I mean, I have several mentors. I mean, Aaron Henderson is my reluctant Oh, mentor. shout out to Mr. Henderson. Yeah, yo. I love that I guy. called Aaron last. I call Aaron now. We laugh and we talk. I could call him at 12 at night and say, yo, man, I'm struggling with this. And I look at the people who I have who've helped forge this. God gave me an army of art angels in lieu of formal education. Mm -hmm. He put people along the path to help me. And I'm at, as an OG, <laughs> I can recognize all this stuff. You know, you're young. You're still plotting your path, man. But I'm connecting all the dots because, you know, Jamal, sometimes I say, how did this happen? I didn't plan this. And if I had planned it, it wouldn't have worked. Right. So it's beautiful. And at this point in my life to be getting my flowers and I'm most people are retiring right now. And hell, I'm just, <laughs> just getting, getting started. Going, yeah. Was, yeah, I've only been painting full time since September of 2020. I lost my job due to the pandemic. Oh, really? So that's one of the reasons why, you know, my career may not have taken off as fast as some others because I, I forged a career while in corporate America. A lot of people thought I was a full-time artist. No. Uh, <laughs> it's what I did after working on yeah. weekends that made me a full-time artist. That's what I mean. You, I had a job. You managed to be incredibly prolific in, in that time yeah. frame. You're giving these constraints. So, I mean, nine to five is nine to five, you know, and then you, you had to be like going straight to work. Cause I've seen your work a lot, no. a lot, a yeah. lot, like all around Atlanta. We've known each other for a while. Yeah. So I've seen your work a lot around Atlanta. Uh, tell me how, how was that for you? Like how, how much of a, of a, I don't want to say a struggle it was, but how, what's the, what was the process Man, of it? Because I can't imagine. It, I'm getting chills with you asking me that because it was a struggle. Um, Number one, I was highly proficient at what I, what I did in corporate America was solve problems, high-level problems. G22 classified. <laughs> <laughs> we can't even but talk no, about really, it on I, a podcast. I was a, <laughs> I was a customer experience manager for a company, and I handled executive escalations, better business bureau complaints, consumer fraud. So I was a guy that when no one else could figure out how to resolve an issue, it came to me. Mm. And it's the creativity that I have as a person that I use in art that helped me be proficient I love that. that. And it was a struggle. Um, but I'm going to tell you something. In my Zoom sessions, every single Zoom session, and these have been virtual, uh, I make every child hold up their hands and say, how many fingers do we have? Ten. I don't have on one today, but I collect antique watches. Then I hold my watch up and say, how many hours do we have in every day? Twenty-four. I don't have anything more than anybody else. Mm. What do you do with your ten fingers? What do you do with your 24 hours? When people used to ask me, how are you able to create all that? What do you do when you go home from work? You sit down and watch TV, good for you. <laughs> then, <laughs> then you get what you get. Right. I just have this urge. I, I, don't, I think the word bored should be banished from the dictionary. I don't, I don't understand it. You must be the smartest person in the world to be bored. And I don't say I'm prolific. I'm productive. I do um, create a lot, man. It's yeah. my most favorite thing in the world to do. And I'm, I'm doing my passion. So um, it's not work. It never feels like work to me. It's like breathing. And I don't have an option. So. 
That's I, awesome. I live in a great environment where I can create. I live by myself, which is perfect. <laughs> 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 and um, and the stuff that comes out, um, I say, I as long as I do the work, Jamal, God handles the business. I don't worry about where a painting is going to go when I'm done with it. I just know I have to do it. Right. And I hope I get to live long enough to do all the things I have on my mental board of, you know, projects. For I sure. So many things I want to do. And um, I told somebody today, they said, why do you work so much? I said, I think I'm making up for lost time. Now that I can do it full time, mm. you know, I'm just grind, grind, grind. It bothers other people, which is weird. Because I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, why does it bother you that I'm working? And that's, I'm happy. Yeah, that's funny. So, yeah. That was a couple know. weeks ago I had a conversation with uh, Clarence Hayward. And we talked a little bit about burning out and how yeah. he doesn't know how it's possible for him to burn out because he loves what he does so much so yeah. the idea of burning out happens when you're doing something you don't want to do yeah you know when you're actually being fulfilled by it it doesn't bother you exactly you can put unlimited amount of energy and time into it and you never feel like you're giving too much well, I now, you actually you feel like you're not <laughs> giving enough yeah i'm like, hard on myself time. because yeah. i have to be self-motivated i don't have anybody telling me to do anything i'm only accountable to me right and why would i screw myself you know corporate <laughs> america has done that for years, <laughs> I gave of myself to them and they couldn't afford what I was worth. And I'm not I'm being very humble about that. So when you realize your value to yourself and you invest in yourself, because that's what I did over my career. That's what people don't understand. I have a lot of artwork because I invested in me. The bounty of artwork that I have. and You have no idea what I have. A few people do. I let them come to my home and see my vault. It was very intentional. Um, being that we make a living from this. We, it pays bills, mortgage, car notes. This is not something. It's a business. So from my stance, every time I create a work of art, no matter how much I have, it just means I just put a deposit into the bank. Mm, I don't I like know that. when I'm going to withdraw it. I don't need it now. But at some like point, that. I'll be able to make a withdrawal. I sold an old piece to a friend. He came by for something completely different just to visit and wound up buying a piece from me that was about 11 years old. He fell in love with it. I love the piece. I knew at some point it would find a home. It didn't matter that it took 11 years. I didn't need it 11 years ago. Here I'm further along in life. And so you plant those seeds. I had to explain that to an ex-wife. She said, why do you keep painting? You haven't sold all the stuff you have. And I told her <laughs> the same thing. Every time I finish something, it means I just put some money in the bank. Right. You know. Yeah. So this that. is a unique position that we have, man. And um, to be able to do it and do it successfully. And I'm not going to lie, you know, it, it's not all, all flowers every day. You know, you have your lows where things aren't happening. You have to create despite that. You have to have so much faith in what you do and know that God has your back that even when things like, I got a bunch of art, I haven't sold any in three months, keep creating, keep creating. Keep going. And then the bounty comes. Yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So that's awesome. Being in corporate America, sitting at my desk, seeing bright colors and wanting to paint, uh, doing some solving problems is the exact opposite of being what I love to do. But it had a good balance. So when yeah. I wasn't solving problems in corporate America, uh, I was in my studio. And when I lost my job, the day I got a call from my manager and she told me I need to log off, they eliminated my position. It was ridiculous calm on my end. Wow. I logged off and went to the studio. I didn't blink an eye. I didn't think about a bill. I was like, <laughs> what took you so long, God? He had to push me. You know, I had the capacity to do it. But once you're pushing, and it was no question that I'm not filling out an application ever again in life. I'm ready. And now it's time. So That's what's sometimes up. you need a little bit of help from God. Yeah, you got your time. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's your time, I am. time to shine. Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me about your. You mentioned it, but tell me about your art angels, like these people that's been helping you Man, all this time. I, 
like I said, I'm, I'm big on connecting dots and, and crediting people who have helped me because whoever you are, wherever you are in your career, whatever you do, there have been people. And sometimes you forget because there's so many dominoes that's fallen. And, you know, you were the first one that taught me this or that did this. So um, once again, sometimes people forget. And I remember early on in my career. And once again, you said, I've been doing this over 30 years. Everybody from Jim Alexander, the real OGs, <laughs> you know, Aaron, I've learned so much. Charlotte Riley Webb. I mean, we've had so many good times. Marcella Hayes Muhammad. I was in African-Americans for the arts. And I recommend that group to anyone who's starting out, needs a home to, to get your footing. Now, Aaron Henderson took me under his wing. and He's not going to take credit for it. Early in my career, it was the best thing that could have happened because he taught me age-old adages that will never get old, you know, from the quality of materials to never skimp on that, to he gave me stock questions to ask, to answer for certain questions, like, how long did it take you to paint that? All my life. <laughs> and these are things that I don't even have to think about. So yeah. I look at people, I look at collectors, you know, when things were really lean and this collector comes out the blue and buys three pieces, and he didn't know that you were on the cusp of, you know, Art angels, people who, one guy just called me, he said, I just feel like a, a blessing, man. I need to bless you. I want to buy a piece of art. All right. And I look to the sky because I know where all of that comes from. So God wants us to keep it going. I'm doing his work. Um, I'm a vessel. Joe Barry Carroll, thank you for that. You know, at a show I was at, he hollered it from the back when I was telling people, I don't understand that. I don't know where it comes <laughs> from. Joe Barry Carroll said, you're a vessel. <laughs> and ever since then, I am a vessel. I hold the brush, Jamal. I hold yes, the brush. Do. Yeah, yes, I hold do. the brush, and that's everything. I stand in front of things that I've done before, knowing that I created it, but with very a little recollection as to really being part of the process. So, it is a cool thing to create the way I do in the manner that I do, and um, I try not to let anything spoil it. I'm open to advice, and believe me, I get a lot of advice. <laughs> but uh, you take everybody's advice, you'll be confused. And I've been there too. And then you're right. creating somebody else's vision. I'm like, yeah. kind of what I do works. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but I have to be self-fulfilled mm. and create what makes me feel good. Right. Because so, it's, about, it's about you. Yeah. And in abstract, like you say, you can go in so many directions. So I have my main role, mm -hmm. which is my DNA style. I'm branded. So I would never abandon that. I got a little side streets so I go down and do stuff. A lot of stuff. A lot of side streets. Side streets, alleys, and gangways. <laughs> and that's kind of what it means. You know, we're an artist. It's not one path. There's no such thing as a one straight road. If you're an artist, man, you make dips, you go down back streets, hang out for a while, you come back, and just never lose sight of, you know, what really got you there. As long as I, and the children manifest that, as long as they're hungry for that and the teachers are supporting that style, it has its place. And right. the cool thing is that people are now open and receptive to open or uh, accepting other art forms for me. So I deem myself a multidisciplinary artist right now. And so let's, let's get into that a little bit because you talk about how intuitive it is and how much a lot of this stuff is, is beyond your control, but it's also very intentional in terms of how you're making the shape. So think about the one, the alleyways one that you talked about at your artist talk for your show at Aviation. A lot of the symbols have specific meanings to them that nobody would know. So it's not, it's not like out of thin air completely. Like you're being very intentional about how you're putting it and placing it. Talk about that piece and talk about what the meaning of some of the shapes and symbols have uh, as we go along. No, I appreciate that, man. That's a great question because, you know, I'm not a figurative artist. I mentioned to somebody that I think that my show I just had at Aviation was mostly successful 
because an African-American artist had an abstract art solo exhibit and there wasn't a black face in the exhibit. Mm. I love black faces. That's not to say that I don't. But what you're alluding to is, yeah, my narratives are there and they, they speak to our struggle and our history and everything else just in an abstract form. So I do use geometric and organic shapes to convey certain things in my artwork. Uh, and sometimes it's the material. I, I had a piece in my show called Southside. It was done out of uh, metal and wood. It was abstract, a really rough piece, rough looking, you know, um, a departure from what most people know me by. And it started as a study, as most people's do. Uh, and that was a study for a friend of mine who since passed, um, Keith Allen. He passed on September 7th. He was actually uh, just finished building a home. And I had uh, several pieces of art I was getting ready to take to Chicago uh, for his new home. And when I did that study and I showed it to him, he was one of the first people I used to run people. Like he loved it and wanted it bigger. And I created it. And that was the, the motivation for me to create that piece. And when I look at it, it reminds me of how I grew up. We grew up poor. I'm the youngest of nine children, raised by a single mother on the south side of Chicago, Inglewood, to be specific. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, to grow up like that and have that behind me, you leave, but you never forget. I mean, I left Chicago when I was 24 years old and had lived there my whole life. So it was all I knew. It was a lifestyle. It was everything. People tell me now I'm soft. <laughs> but the reality right. is God took me from Chicago and put me someplace where that seed I was telling you about earlier, that art seed that I had in me, could not grow in that concrete jungle. The art seed that God planted in me needed the fertile soil of Georgia. And when I tell you he picked me up by the scruff of my educated street educated neck <laughs> and drop me here gently to do this i completely get it man and yeah. it's man every day i wake up i tell kids i said when you find your passion you never have to think about what you're gonna do when you wake up for the rest of your life mm. every day i wake up i never go oh, what am i gonna do if nothing else i'm gonna create and when i'm not physically creating it i'm thinking about it and once again i'm more of a I call myself, uh, they're emotional landscapes. So a lot of the titles, a lot of the things that I put in my piece are personal. Personal experiences, man. We go through life. We do so much in the course of a day. And at the end of the day, we lay our head down with little thought for how much we do. Mm -hmm. And that's what all of the pieces in my art reflect in my DNA series. And then we've got this little thread that holds everything together. Sometimes we don't know how fine that thread is and how close it is to breaking. Well, how many days have you woke up and said, how am I going to get all of this done? But somehow you do. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's this fine thread. So what I try to capture are snapshots in life in my work. And once again, they still speak to diaspora because I'm an African-American artist. All of my experiences are part of my art. Now, I'm not going to kid you. I do try to create art that is a departure. I haven't watched the news in four days for obvious reasons. Obviously. Um, the audience my clients, when I saw that last night, I was on the floor crying real tears, man. Mm. These are the kids that I teach every day. Mm. Um, and for something as callous as that, and for it to, it impacts you. It impacts what you do. I'm like, I deal with them. This is truly my sweet spot of 10-year-olds, fourth and fifth graders. That is, I do anything from kindergarten to eighth grade to high school, but they're aware. They ask the best questions, so that's my sweet spot. Everything creeps into your art. It impacts everything. So, you know, you have to have an environment. You have to be aware 
And that stuff always winds up impacting and being part of your art, uh, whether it's intentional or not. You know, some, I often create a work of art and figure out what I did after the fact. Yeah, I'm not a narrative artist where I have a plan and a plot. Well, I'm like Aaron Henderson, and I do four <laughs> studies, two paintings, yes, and then I go yeah. to canvas. How to admire how he does that. I'm just a different dude. You know, we all create differently, man, and that's yeah. what's so cool about it. Everybody's process is different. And at the end of the day, you look at a work of art with little or no regard for what it took for me to create it. And that's how it should be. And then some you look at and like, wow, yeah. you know, I like doing those too. So um, this is just like the best thing in the world. But once again, things that I put in my art can be subtle. And it can be overt, you know, and some of the pieces that I've created, some of the, what you may call socially relevant pieces, they've not seen the light of day, not because I don't show them. Um, you know how it is. And Atlanta is oversaturated with artists. You're oh, yeah. lucky to get a solo exhibit as a coveted thing. Plenty of group exhibits. And they say, okay, I know you got 300 works of art. Which two do you want to bring? Okay. <laughs> Which two? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how I feel uh, when I'm in a group show. So I covet solo exhibits and everything else. And, you know, I try to do as much as I can to self-promote. Um, I've I got a bevy of ideas, things I haven't. You see the shirt that I have on? Oh, yeah. The L Laurent Originals. Art Modity. That's trademark recently and that came about in art education you know when we have to market our wares i explain to people you're not spending money when you acquire one of my works you are making a sound investment mm -hmm. there you go we are the same as stocks you're a stock i'm a stock we have a value if my entry level uh, original is about a thousand bucks well, not right now, but I'm kind of like a Tesla. <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> but respectfully, you can look at an artist, look at the career, look at their value, and you can relate them to a stock. So if you spend $3,000, you just bought three shares of Reggie. And we increase at about, what, 8% a year? <laughs> so it's cool to look at a computer and see a number, right. but imagine if you don't have art in your portfolio and you have money, you're missing the boat. And you're not spending money. You're only spending the money if you go into rooms to go and home goods. That's spending money. <laughs> when you're investing in a walking living and i'm getting old too so i'm just saying <laughs> you know that little original you buy today from me for five or six thousand could potentially put your unborn grandchild through college hey, real talk go, yeah. and that's what i do i try to bring value to what i do and let people understand we have, part of what we do is educating people and that's what art modity is all about because we have value what we do is we create value our art has value and we are a commodity or an art modity you have a value based on what you've done I have a value. So, you know, I'm trying to get to Charlie Palmer Amazon status. You know, <laughs> we all, you know, yeah. someone straight out of uh, art school, you're a penny stock, man. I ain't giving you no six Gs <laughs> for that. You know, so really, you can gauge an artist and their value. And that's what the art modity concept is all about. It's like a platform for people to understand what you should be paying, why you are paying. And this guy is worth collecting because, so whether you collect it because you like it, of its aesthetics, or whether you're collecting it for its value, at least you know. And I say do both. Collect what you like, but also you can collect, you know, somebody that's up and rising. I think my star is rising. I'm a good investment right now based on where I'm going to be in a minute. And I'm just, I say that <laughs> humbly. I'm a darn, I'm still cheap, you know, relatively speaking. <laughs> I'm still cheap. Hey, you should say you cheap, know? say affordable. I'm affordable. That's what I meant. <laughs> I apologize. I am affordable. Oh, affordable. Yeah, there you I'm go. still affordable. <laughs> Uh, so as you think about this and you, and you start to think about the business as well as like the production part of it and you think of your relationship with collectors um, when you're introducing new work and these new experiments I'm thinking specifically about your 
um, wood assemblage pieces mm-hmm. that you are painting and making beautiful arrangements. I love that new direction, by the way. But how how do you figure a experimentation into what people know about you? Because those pieces are very different than your DNA series. I mean, but it's it's very similar, but it's it's so different, even in the presentation and how you're doing it. So tell me a little bit about about yeah. that series in particular, how you came up with it, and then how it fits into your overall scheme of how you look at it. No, I appreciate that. Well, the show I had um, earlier, you said there were only actually two pieces in there that were post-pandemic, and those are two large pieces. Everything else in that came about (laughs) after a pandemic started. I had a solo exhibit at the Aviation Center that was supposed to open March 28, 2020, called From the South Side to the South. So this documented my journey from when I wasn't an artist in Chicago to where I came here. I had photography. I documented everything. I call it the show that never was because <laughs> it was canceled, wow. never opened, never viewed by the public. Um, and then I'm looking at people, artists on Instagram, you know, like April. My show's canceled. I'm in a serious funk. They're talking about, it's a pandemic. If you're an artist, you should be doing your best work. And I'm like, bump you. <laughs> I got to show up. Ain't nobody seen. I ain't painting Jack. <laughs> So Jamal, that, that's disheartening. It, it was disheartening, man. Yeah. I was I was completely bummed out. Not only had I invested a lot in it, I invested a lot of time. I went to Chicago, did research. I just spent about six thousand dollars on framing. Wow, you know, wow. And yeah. it was up for nine months <laughs> and never public. My work wow. was under quarantine in a government building. I couldn't even go visit it, man. So, what does that do to you as an artist? That's rough, man. man. Yeah, I yeah. didn't make a dime. So. To make a long story short, when I finally got over myself and said, okay, I'm going to go create, I had some wood pieces I had bought a long time ago. Now, I went to a vocational high school. I'm a trained cabinet maker, and I went to college initially for industrial arts. So wood is not a foreign substance to me. I, I got a full wood shop at my home. So I just said, let me just do something a little different. I've been wanting to do these. And they all started out flat. I just started basically abstracted pieces of wood and putting them together. They weren't raised. They weren't three-dimensional. And these woods, like you said, they mirror the shapes that most of my art is, uh, geometric and organic shapes. Right. So, and so it, it's just, not that just, far removed. I want to describe it for people uh-huh. just so they know for sure. Like you have, uh, I don't know, what, is it quarter-inch thick pieces of wood? Th- anywhere from an eighth of an inch to a quarter inch. Yeah, and so you're cutting them into shapes, like circles. These are pre-cut, like laser-cut pieces of wood that laser I get cut from pieces nine in, different vendors. Yeah, yeah, and so if you look at the DNA series, you see all the different organic shapes that you put together. These are mm-hmm. physical organic shapes that where you had cut out, laser-cut, and then you stacked them, colored, painted them, stacked them, <laughs> assembled them into all these different arrangements and movements. Mm. I wanted to make sure to describe that for people as you keep going. No, I, I appreciate going, yeah. that. Yeah. So it's not that far removed. And actually, in my Zoom sessions, I take a wood assemblage and I hold it back and move it direct. It disappears into one of my paintings. Mm. So it's not that far removed. Once again, I go back to the domino effect. Each style I do triggers another one. Even with the... um the uh, paper collages and that's what i mostly do with the the schools when i do zoom sessions because it's quick it's efficient uh it's affordable and we can do them in one session if i take one of those and i I hold it all the way back to my painting it disappears so they see the similarities but i thought that my art would lend itself to a 3d style and i'll still just scratch the surface Uh, i'm looking at metal 
looking at plastic, other things that I can integrate. And it did it really well. Now, what you see now is mostly I'm using solid colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start abstracting some of the pieces, and that'll give it a whole different look. And I'm integrating wood assemblages on top of physical paintings, too, which oh, is wow. a whole different look. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm working on black and whites right now, and I can't wait to finish because I'm, I miss color. <laughs> <laughs> I love black and white, believe it or not. Sometimes I'll work with just black and white um, because that comes back from my early days where when money was scarce, as long as I had black and white, I was happy. Right. As long as I have those two things, I can create. Uh, but it's a uh, it's a diversion from what most people know. When they see my black and white charcoals and see me working in black and white, like, oh, that's not what you normally do. Well, long time ago. Well, buy one. Yeah. Get away. Get away. Yeah. Get away. You can. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I love it, man. Yes, and and I I love the, I love even hearing about that direction. I think it's gonna be great for you because I really you. I really responded to those pieces like a a, a lot a lot and you know I big things coming in there there's so much stuff you can do so many different directions you can go yeah it, just from what you set up so far yeah and i'm excited about it you know I, I just once again hope god gives me enough time to really do the work and one of my main mentors is preston jackson preston is i don't allow on preston preston's gotta be close to 80 late 70s mm. and he does it if you want to emulate yourself after an artist i told him you must have 48 hours in a day uh <laughs> for all of the things that he does he's a true renaissance man and like i said that's the people who i look at when i get tired I'm like if preston's still doing it how can i get tired yeah man look artists don't retire for me to retire means i stop creating and i just don't see that ever happening yeah and as long as i have the ability to create pick up a brush um i mean i'm looking at other materials right now jamal and i don't want to get too far off the path I'm just so excited about all the possibilities. And now that I have 24 hours a day to do it and I don't have to give eight hours of my life to some entity that can't afford me, (laughs) you know, lean times and all, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been the best thing for me creatively, whether I got forced off the ledge or it was just my time. Hey, you're here now. Best thing now. I'm here, man. Yeah. I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's good stuff, man. Hey everybody, this is Chloe Alexander, printmaker from Atlanta, and you are listening to Studio Noise. All right, let's get into the teaching engagements. You talked about it a lot um, already, but uh, let's talk about it. The genesis of it, because you even talking to you, you mentioned to me like, yo, this feels like for you, this is your legacy. Truly. The, the teaching experiences that you're doing feels yeah. like your legacy. Tell me about them. Above everything else, yeah. And, and as everything else in my career, it happened organically. It's not something I could have planned, not something that was on my radar. Several years ago, it was actually a Skype session, Melinda LeBeau in um, Texas. She's a teacher and reached out to me. I'm in corporate America and wanted to know if I would do a brief Skype session with one of her classes. I'd never done it before. I was like, huh? Do what? So that was the seed. That's what started it. And man, this has morphed and grown into something. When I tell you, teachers have groups that are like gangs. I mean that in a good way. (laughs) They share information. When they find an artist or they find a style, they find a technique, they share it. And it's just spread like wildfire. Um, Teachers basically use my DNA style as a teaching aid 
as a foundation for all art, geometric and organic shapes, from kindergarten, triangles, circles. And I've come up with a myriad of ways to, uh, I have Zoom sessions that typically run 45 minutes to an hour uh, at an hourly rate. I do individual class. I do whole school. I do multiple school. And this is not something I could have planned, but it is um, a main source of income for me. Uh, I feel like last Friday, because I don't have any more scheduled until September, last Friday I feel like I got out of school with all the teachers. <laughs> but, you know, I'm lucky because with art, I, I've got both of my needs fulfilled, my passion and my purpose. And, and like you said, Jamal, um, these Zoom sessions have morphed into something I couldn't have ever even imagined. Uh, the works of art that have been created, the emails I've received from teachers, the tears that have rolled down my face when I get an envelope of thank you notes with drawings from kids. Wow. If my legacy is to inspire the next generation of creators, and that's what it is, and not even just art. I said, well, you want to dance, musician, architect. You have to create. I tell them it doesn't end on canvas. I forged a career in corporate America based on my creativity, my ability to solve problems. And it doesn't end on canvas. So the same creativity I use in art, you use in life. You got a little brother? You, 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 you're fighting over the remote. Okay, you use it 15 minutes, I use it for 15 You use creativity to resolve an issue. Yeah. So the strength of creativity and the ability to spread it, not creativity when they're playing a video game that somebody else designed. I make them feel guilty. I have a work of art, and I show it in every Zoom session. It's an abstract, one of my doodles on a one-inch piece of wood, and I hold it right up to the canvas, right up to the camera in every Zoom session. So can you see this? They go, yeah. And then I pull it back and they see how small it is. And I say, if I can do something this small and make it interesting, you can too. And my charge with them is simple. Create one work of art a week. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be elaborate. Mm -hmm. One work of art a week. At the end of the year, you'd have 52 works of art. I tell them how much their parents would love to. You give that to your mother, your father, your grandmother. They'll keep it forever. Like you have nothing to show for playing a video game but a high score of bragging rights. If you spend time creating <laughs> art, you have physical, tangible proof of your time. Right. I know that's important to me, and I know because they got a lot more time than me, it's not important to them. But if one of those kids get it, and believe it or not, more often than not, they do. I did a Zoom session on a Friday. I did five with the school. I had a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the last one was on a Monday. But there was a little girl who was in one of the classes on Thursday. And she came to the Monday class just so that I could see that over the weekend, she spent her whole weekend creating art. Wow. I'm like, bam, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> if no one, one else yeah. did, that's my one. Yeah. But out of everything I do, and there's some artists that look at me sideways when I say, I don't care about museums. I don't care about sales or collectors. I do. But the thing that's most important when I'm gone, if what people say was he motivated children to create, that's what's going to make me smile from heaven. I love it. That's what's going to make me smile. And that, like I said, I got the best of both worlds, and it's so unintended. Um, that's what makes it special. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I grind, I done, I planned, and I didn't plan none of this. And I just keep pay, reading the book of Reggie, waiting to turn the page. What you got next, God? Because I'm here. I'm a Bible <laughs> vessel. I'm ready for it. Whatever it is, I'm ready. He ain't going to fail me. He hasn't yet. All I got to do is keep doing the work. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah, but it's special, I mean, to motivate children to create when yeah. we live in an now environment where they're not, you know, yeah, now they get fast food life. Can we get into that a little bit? Because, you know, I've, I've worked with kids, um, worked with some kids even on the college level taught, teaching classes at Georgia State online. 
Now you're teaching <laughs> fourth, fifth graders uh, online. How how does it go? How do you build a rapport with them? How do you kind of start from the very beginning, engaging with the kids and getting grabbing their attention right away? That's exactly what I do. I start from the beginning. I take them down the journey of my career. Um, how I started with landscapes and Bob Ross. I show them a picture of me when I had a big afro when I was their age. <laughs> At that point, they feel like they're talking to one of their peers. I tell them that when I was your age, in between classes, I used to say when a teacher was talking, I do it in the margins. And one teacher said, please don't say that because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it in the margins when I'm trying. So then I modified that to, you know, in between classes, um, <laughs> I was a compulsive doodler. And I right. show them every step. And I'm transparent. I take questions and I teach a style where the playing field is level. I couldn't draw when I was a kid. Some kids have higher aptitudes in art and I'm anti-art bullying. I want every child to know that they have the ability to create. So in this style, no one's art is better. I believe in life, no one's art is better. It's called different. And I I pound that home. You know, there's certain things that I pound home. And then it depends on if it's an informational session or if it's an informative interactive. I do both. But if it's informational, I take them down the whole thing. I talk to them about how art is a career. I talk about my mentors, different materials, how there is no right, no wrong. It's almost like a pep rally for creating. Uh, <laughs> and it's genuine, man. I can, no two have ever been the same. I feed off the kids. The, my favorite part is questions because I learn so much about me. Of course, some of the questions are the same, you know. How old are you? <laughs> um, right. You know, but the, one of the best stories that I tell them, and this is one that I think in a nutshell it, it tells my story. Like I said, we grew up with not a lot of money. My mom would buy, I have a twin sister, her name's Rochelle, and she would buy us coloring books. And I would knock my coloring book out in about 15 minutes, every page. <laughs> I would motor through it, color every, and like raise my hands up, done, like it was a contest. And she'd still be on the first page, just coloring, just, and then I'd come over to her with my little grubby hands, all right, I'm about to help you. No, she'd call my mother, get him away from me. He gonna mess it up. You know why? Because I didn't color in the lines. <laughs> I never colored in the lines. And I think it's funny now I'm an artist and she's not. And I tell her, I still color outside the lines. I tell the kids, those lines are just a suggestion. <laughs> and, and in a nutshell, that's what I do. When I do new stuff, forget a line. A line is just a suggestion. You don't have to stay inside that line. It's stuff outside that line you can explore. Yeah. And in a nutshell, that's basically what I've done, man. I color outside the lines. And I tell that story. And I told it at the, uh, it was the first time I had family at a solo exhibit. Uh, my brother, oldest brother, and his wife flew in town, and my twin sister was here. So that's what made that exhibit really special. Nice. And I actually got to tell that story with her being next to me, and I got to stick my tongue out at it. You know, it just, <laughs> and I'm not a spring chicken. You know, to have that moment with her where, and not look at yeah. me, you see me, you wouldn't even let me color your coloring book. How you like me now? <laughs> so you know, like I said, that stuff feeds me, man. We grew up poor, but in our poverty, we were forced to create. Right. You know. We were the toys, you know, <laughs> you do stuff, man, you know, right. you get a big six inch thick Sears catalog and your mom said, all right, pick out the one toy you want from one toy. <laughs> so we learned, despite what we didn't have, how to create. My mom crocheted, my mom made jewelry, mm. you know what I'm saying? And there was no idea I ever had that she made me ever think was too crazy. And all of that is credited to who I am. I have one piece called House Full of Love. It's abstract, purely abstract, but two of the things in there, you see a house and you see a heart right next to each other. 
And when I explained to people, I said, I didn't realize until I was an adult how broke we were and how bad it was. Right. I never felt that. We had, I had my siblings, we had my mom, and those were the best years of my life. I said, we didn't have a lot, but what we had was a house full of love. And in that DNA style piece, there is no thread. And that's the one Joe Barry Carroll asked me about, why no thread? Didn't need the thread. The love was the bond that we needed. Mm, I like that. And see, those narratives, you would have to ask me, and I tell people, ask me and I'll tell you, because in abstract, the intent is not always obvious. Sometimes you have to tap on my shoulder, like, where are you going with this? Uh, and I'll tell <laughs> yeah. you, it's never without some direction or some purpose, uh, whether I figure it out before or I figure it out afterwards. Like I said, Larry Walker connected dots in his career, late in his career. And I was young at the time when he was connecting dots. He said it was a shadowy figure that showed up in his work and he didn't know what it was. And later in life, he reconciled that it was his father. Mm. And I thought, because I was young at the time, I thought, how odd, as old as he is, he hadn't, didn't know what that figure was. Man, I'm figuring out so much stuff right now. I mean, I figured that I don't use white in my paint, except very limited. I don't use white. It was something that I didn't even realize until I went and looked. I said, holy crap. When I see white, <laughs> I cover it up. And then I have to reconcile that. Why is that? And here is my thread. This has a right. dual narrative. Yeah, my DNA style has a dual narrative. And that comes back to gentrification in my DNA series. That's where I allow white to come back into my painting, but it only has limited access. Mm. Because up until I allow it to come back in, it's all color and it's harmonious and it's perfect. I grew up in Chicago. Even as I sit here talking to you right now, Chicago is the third most segregated city in the United States. Wow. So when I grew up on the south side of Chicago, let it suffice to say, I went to a, a black grammar school. I went to a black grammar school and graduated from Chicago State University, which is an HBCU. So my interaction, relationship with white people in general, no, I was born in 1960, Jamal. I have recollections of seeing the signs where I couldn't drink from a water fountain. Right. My twin sister doesn't have them, but I do. I was taught, don't talk to that white woman like that. Don't talk to them like that. You respect those so i was always taught that white was superior so when i look at it in my art i cover it up mm. i'm not racist i love white people i love everybody but respectfully i cover it up except in rare instances and it's not intentional it's never been intentional and i thought about it you know i'm like i've been conditioned mm. for it to be something that was superior all my life and now i have a chance to i don't have to have it and when i do invite it it has limited access. Mm. So this is a world where I control a narrative that my whole life was controlled by us. It still does. Yeah. You know, how often have you gotten in an elevator and you were the only one there and there's someone else in there and you see her heart pounding because of, <laughs> I call it the elevator theory. And I use that to explain to, to my, my white friends what it's like to be a black man. And it's as simple as the elevator theory. There's so many scenarios where if you're waiting for an elevator and doors open up, and there's a white female on there, and you're going to get on the elevator, and it's just you and her, and that door's going to close. It's the fear you see. Mm. Or if you're already on the elevator, and the doors open up, and there she is, and it's her hesitancy in getting on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in corporate America, dressed in a suit, and I experienced this every day. That's wild. And it's something that didn't plague me. I would just laugh, and I would just say, okay, are they, do they feel safe today? Because they know for that scant 10 floors, five floors, they are, oh my God, I'm in a small right, room. Like, with, and like and I can see the mercy. fear. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Like I'm in a suit. I got like, on yeah. ballys. You I think do? what you yeah. think I'm going to do? <laughs> but really, when I reconcile, I'm like, That's okay, wild. why is it? Why don't you? 
and I figured it out. That's all it is. And it's not a racist thing. I have a lot of, you know, a lot of my collectors are not African-Americans. Most of them are not. And so, you know, for me to share that narrative and be honest with them, you have to understand how I was brought up, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Never sat on my front porch or saw a white person go down the street. It would be like, oh, an albatross. Like, look, look, look. A white person's sight. And I mean, that's how segregated Chicago is. I feel you. You have lines of delineation, streets. This is where the Hispanics live. This is where the Greeks live. This is where the Polish people live. And it's still that way. I mean, not as strict, but yeah, it's still very segregated. All of my family lives on the South Side. You know, to this day, all my family in Chicago grew up, raised, and it's like a city, Atlanta, the South Side. So when you reconcile, when you get older and you don't know, you know, I don't have the voice of an artist. Well, because he trained me to do this. He trained me to do this. So stuff that I have to figure out that some people don't have to. And like I said, I. I really dive deep to figure out why I do things, where this came from, because I have to explain it at some point. And I don't pull this stuff out my keister. You know, this is history. <laughs> you know, I've been walking yeah. this for 61 years, so yeah. I realize that all these things that I create are based on experiences. And I have fun and just do nonsensical things. I have a series of uh, sunny side eggs I started doing just for fun. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have to show you. And don't ask. Don't you? I'm an artist, man. Come on. <laughs> They're beautiful, though. Every time somebody sees them, it gets a reaction. <laughs> I went to a barbecue over the weekend, and I took it. They're small. They're like four by four, six by six. And I gave my wife's, my buddy's wife, I said, I brought you a gift. And she hung it in her kitchen. I love it. I'm like, exactly. It's just a little statement. It's a, a big yellow <laughs> egg yolk, and then you got the, the whites on a black canvas, and it just speaks for itself. You they don't have to explain. <laughs> so, like I said, we don't have rules, and I show those in my Zoom sessions. Yeah. I say, ain't no rules. That's why I show them sports objects. I've painted everything from a golf ball to a basketball to a baseball, baseball bat, hockey puck. There are no rules. I paint whatever I want to paint. If it sits still, I'll paint it. So tell me about that, because we, because I do remember you had a whole installation of, of rolling pins yeah. that you had painted too. Yeah, and so you have you brought a basketball for me to, to see here at the studio, and you've done all kinds of stuff. So tell me how you begin to think about transferring it to objects and what that meant for you. You know, and this cool thing because both things you mentioned, the sports objects and the rolling pins, once again, by happy accident. The rolling pins is a cool story because I was in my studio and I had like a metal stand like that saw sit on, but nothing was on it. And I saw a handle sticking from up under the stand and I reached down and pulled it out. I'm like, where did this rolling pin come from? <laughs> you just I had no idea. Studio. I spun it and go, <laughs> I'm gonna paint that bad boy. And I have that rolling pin, the first Ain't one I ever painted. Nothing safe around you. That's what you said. Yeah, nothing is, man. <laughs> and then it was just a cool thing. I'm like, I enjoyed it. So I painted a few more. Then I thought, let me look at the history of the rolling pin. Then I discovered John W. Reed, an African-American like you and I, Jamal Barber, in 1864 had the wherewithal to put the rod through the middle and the handles. So as we know, the rolling pin, he is the inventor of the rolling pin. Oh, wow. When I first painted that, I had no idea. So once I found out, I said, there's more to it than that. John W. Reed. Okay, John W. Reed. 1864. Yeah, shortly after, you know, slavery was abolished shortly after uh he had the quote unquote he had the wherewithal and here's a cool thing about it it's in everybody's house no one thinks about where it came from yeah and think about it in its simplicity like my art it can't be improved on you've seen it in different materials maybe they have some that you can roll a thing and get different gauges i mean etruscans had just a piece of wood that you would roll but the handles gave you the ability to apply pressure 
Mm-hmm. And as we know, it, when you think of a rolling pin, you think of what he invented. But in its simplicity, it was a perfect invention. Yeah. I'm like, it hasn't been improved on with all the technology we have. I'm like, that's strong. That man was a genius. So what I did just pays homage to his invention. I couldn't improve it. I just gave it some Reggie love. And I decided, I like to think of big works of art. Like, I want to show 100 of these. I want to do 20 <laughs> of these. And so it grew to 100 rolling pins. That yeah. wasn't initially what happened. But once I found out what it stood for, I like, it deserves. And that's a museum piece. That's one I truly hope a museum is astute enough to acquire. And I mean that humbly because it has history and it means something. I don't want it someplace where it's not going to be seen. I'm not the biggest fan of museums because if it's not being shown, it's in a dark room in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some instances, museums are where art goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> They're needed. They get to show. But if you got a piece that's not being displayed, you know, when it might yeah. come in circulation and they've yeah. got all these beautiful works of art. That's why I like collectors to have art that they can see and their children can see. Or when you go visit a friend and you see a piece of your soul on the wall, you know the feeling. You walk in to see Jamal Barber, which Reggie don't have yet. We're going to swap where we'll talk about that. It's yeah. just a good feeling, you yeah. know. Um, so we're leaving something behind, man. This is our proof that we were here. If God gives you the blessing sure. and opportunity to walk this earth, you are duty bound to leave some proof that you were here. Absolutely. Yeah, not just children. That's not proof. <laughs> People say, I mean, kids. Okay. All right. Kids, we get it. But physical, tangible. Well, they're tangible. Well, you know what I mean. Something you created with your 10 fingers. How about that? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's what's up, man. That's awesome, man. So so now where you are, man, what do you. I don't, well, my question is, like, how do you feel? Like, I, I get a sense of. of like the excitement that you have, like you kind of building a legacy, you going along, but yeah. really, truly coming from where you are, where you're from, like you look at all the steps, you look at how your life is, 61 years old right now, full time living your dream. How's it feel? man? It's amazing. And you know what? If I had gotten the same and I won't say level of success because I'm not where I want to be. I'm where God, where I should be. I'm exactly where I should be. I think that if it had come earlier, Number one, I wouldn't appreciate it as much. Mm. It wouldn't mean as much. And I wouldn't be as accomplished. I always show kids in my Zoom sessions some of my early paintings. I keep them around for humility's sake, to show how far I've come. You know, because you have to think about it. You know, you look at your early stuff, and you're like, man, I have what I call, <laughs> some of my friends have blackmail paintings. I saw some over, i like, if you ever show anybody that painting, <laughs> we're going to have issues. You know, like early, early, yeah, early. I, it's juvenilia. <laughs> but as you get older, you know what happens? Those early paintings become more valuable. Right. You know, my juvenilia now, and I have a lot of it because, like I said, I was making great money in corporate America. So I wasn't, I didn't have to sell art. If I sold it, I sold it. If I didn't, I didn't. Mm. So I wasn't a collector of my art, but I archived it knowing that when I retired, boom, everything would be available and I could feed myself, live off of that. So being able to wake up as an artist, know that I pay my mortgage as an artist, I eat as an artist, that art is actually feeding me right now. It's the coolest thing in the world, man. I've been getting direct deposits every two weeks all my life. Uh, when you're self-insured, you know, all of that stuff changes, man. It's a whole yeah. different life. But I can take a nap in the middle of the day at 3 o'clock because I know I'm going to be in the studio at 3 a.m. Mm. To have a structure that I own every day, that's the coolest thing about it. And it has not yet feel like work, even when I'm stressed out trying to hit a deadline. It doesn't feel like work. It just feels like, you know, I need to work faster mm-hmm. or create faster. So 
I'm in a sweet spot right now, man. And the cool thing is I feel like I'm just getting started. It's going to get better. I say God saved the best part of my life for last. And I truly, truly believe that. Uh, and so the joy you see when I talk about art, man, I can't. It's, it's something that's just self-manifested. I don't have to, you know, it's not a game. It's not a joke. I don't put on airs and teachers see it. Uh, the, how genuine it is, man. This is, yeah. this don't have to exist. I tell these kids when we're in a Zoom session, I said in 45 minutes, there's going to be X amount of works of art that didn't exist that we're about to bring into this world. And that's just the coolest thing in the world to create something that people could look at, yeah. visual representation of whatever. It's just, I'm in your studio looking at all of your stuff as I'm talking to you. You know, my head is swiveling. <laughs> you know, you carved every piece of that, man. You yeah. put every drop of paint on it. That's what people don't understand. I tell people who want me, I said, that paint don't jump on that canvas. Do you know I actually have to put it on there? They don't understand don't how much time it takes. It don't jump on that canvas. Yeah. My sister called, what are you doing? I'm working. You're always working. Yeah, because that paint don't jump on that canvas. I have to put it there. So, you know, like I said, it's never a struggle. And you know what it's like. You can't go in the studio for an hour and say, I'm going to work for an hour. That's a joke. <laughs> going <laughs> yeah. to a studio is yeah. minimum a four-hour venture. At least. You know, it's an hour, you just stop messing around and really sit down and start working. Yeah, at <laughs> least, know? yo. And then, so the rest of, then the rest precious. of the day is ruined because I'm is. thinking about going back the, the whole yeah. time I got to leave. And I'm that's the that. one place on earth where I have no concept of time that's why i didn't work this morning i had to see you at 12 <laughs> like man i go in the studio at 7 it'll be 11 30 i'm like oh man jamal i'm running late i have no concept of time when i'm in a studio it doesn't yeah. even exist you know time studio time goes by so fast i was supposed to play basketball with kevin cole yesterday just so y'all know he kicked my ass every time of course because <laughs> he could shoot but he can't jump so he can't do the shots <laughs> So Kevin Kobe cheating because he can't do the things that I do. <laughs> but we stay in shape. And yeah. yesterday he's like, are you coming by? I looked at the clock. I'm in the store. Like, oh, man, I'm sorry. It's late. I said, I got Jamal tomorrow. So I'm going to go to this house and let him beat me today. It's all about exercise. <laughs> Kevin Cole is a sharpshooter. Don't bet him or play him in horse because he ain't going to do the shots you do that he can't do. <laughs> But really, it's yeah, the most fun in the world. Hilarious. We play at my house and his house once or twice a week. And he does beat me. He, he beats me every time, almost every time. But for me, it's more about the fun. And yeah. like I said, he's a sharpshooter, but he can't. Anything I do when my feet leave the ground, he can't do it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's just one. I, I'm sorry, I digress. But there it is. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's fun. Uh, but one thing I want to, uh, last thing I would say, uh, talk about a little bit, is that you showed me a piece on your phone that had, um all the works of art the kids made together um and i i could tell how much that moved you man tell me about that piece the last thing before we get out of here tell me about that piece and what it means for you when you do get this work back and you see the kids really investing in in creating something you know what jamal i get those moments more often than you know and every single time it stops me in my tracks because what it does more than anything is confirm what I know in my heart. You can see things in life and in the physical and it might not make sense. But heart don't lie. You look at a lot of my works of art, they have hearts in them. Because this is my passion. And, you know, somebody said, I don't, why do you put representation? Because this is my passion and I love art. And so it means the world to me, man. Um, number one, that teachers embrace it. But to see 720 expressions of art that were created based on a style that I do, which I'm not going to say is I'm the only one doing it. I've seen things that look similar to what I do. Mm -hmm. I don't, 
you know, is anything really original. It's original to me. But respectfully, out of everything that I do, it does. It makes me cry. I got a, a letter from a teacher the other day that made tears roll down my face. Um, this one teacher told me I learned more in one hour than I have in 20 years as a teacher. Wow. When you hear stuff like that and they send you these heartfelt sentiments because they have a tough job. And the ones that I did last Friday came right after the aftermath of a shooting at the end of a school year. So they had a heightened level of significance. So when I got my follow-up email from the teacher, she said, I wish you could have been a fly on the wall. You have no idea how badly we needed this. You were mm. a breath of fresh air. You were a blessing. I've been called an art god. I'm like, I don't get it. I just, <laughs> I'm just Reggie doing my little thing, and I'm glad that people get the benefit. But in the big picture, I'm starting to realize it's a lot more, man. I'm doing more. So I'm going to broaden that platform. Right now, I am in the midst of trying to get corporate sponsorship. There you go. Um, the one thing that has not been set well with me is my lack of representation in Atlanta public schools. Mm. Uh, they can't afford me, and I can't afford to do them for free. I've done plenty of things pro bono, but I've got schools all across the country that see the value in it and are willing to pay for it. Um, and once again, my rates are beyond reasonable, beyond um, you know, less than a dollar a head. In some instances, pennies on a dollar. So if you don't think a child is worth 34 cents, we'll work on that. But if I get a corporate sponsor, that'll take care of all of that. Um, but yeah, I can't tell you. I get real popular in February. I'm working on that too because I want, and it, it actually did keep, you know, after February when I'm always popular for Black History Month. Of course. It, it just kept going. The wave kept going. And I want to modify that. I'm going to bring more artists into the mix. I don't want them to just be exposed to me. I want to bring more friends because a lot of teachers say some artists don't even respond to emails. Shame on you if you're one of them. If a school is reaching out to you and you're an artist, you have an obligation. Um, and don't cherry pick them. They want to hear from you. These kids are looking for living artists to emulate. Them just having an artist take time out of their day and talk to them and show them around the studio and show them works in progress means the world to them. So if you have the ability to sacrifice a little time, and I've done it for free, I still do it for free sometimes, uh, then do it. It, you, you're obligated. You, you have to share this gift. Um, but yeah, it means the world to me, man. And, and once again, it's something I look forward to. I don't know how many kids, I would dare say somewhere between twelve and 15,000 students that I've been exposed to since February doing Zoom sessions. Mm. The, the picture that you're talking about, there were 720 students in that Zoom session. Wow. It was $500 for one hour. And at the end, we had 720 works of art that they made a collage out of. I've seen at least seven or eight collages that schools have done based on my work. Some of these schools I've never spoken to or do, done a Zoom session. They fi I find things online about me that just blows my mind. Uh, I'm on um, Teachers Pay Teachers. They sell lesson plans based on my artwork that I, I don't get any money for. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm just saying, <laughs> i like, oh, art like Reggie Laurent. How much? <laughs> and y'all get royalties too. <laughs> Can I get in on this? <laughs> but don't rent it. That's when you know you made it, Jamal. <laughs> when, you know, they take you and they, and you know, I, I don't mess with no it. Like, yeah, on, I, you have to Google yourself every once in a while to see what's <laughs> out there. I know that sounds arrogant and haughty. It's not. You have to. You're a public figure at this point, and people yeah. will take your stuff and use it. Uh, I'm humbled and impressed that sometimes I'm like, no, this is called cease and desist, shorty. <laughs> Y'all can't use my art, images, likenesses, and then say all images used with permission by Reginald LaRoe. I don't even know you. So, <laughs> teachers pay teachers, Zero permission. Uh, yeah, zero. Make sure you ain't getting got. <laughs> 
Most yeah. teachers are honorable and, and do it the right way. Um, yeah. And they don't know. They see something and, you know, everybody can snip stuff off the internet now. And like I said, I'm impressed when it happens, but I tell them to do it the right way. Yeah. Do it the right way. You get a lot more out of me. For sure. Yeah. And then they get you talking to the class. Yeah. That's what, that's what it's all know, about, I'm, man. I'm reasonable and I love to do it. I answer every email and um, I do my best to schedule. I say, you know, I make it fit within my schedule. I'll bend over backwards to have a Zoom. I, it's not one school that wanted one that didn't get one this year. That's what's up. Yeah. I love it, man. Mm-hmm. That's what's up, man. Reggie Laurent, tell them where they can find you, man. Well, you told him earlier, um, my website, which is LaurentOriginals.com, but mostly follow me on Instagram under Laurent Originals. Uh, that's why I, I post mostly everything. And um, I'm local. Uh, just keep your ear to the ground. Um, I'll post the things on my upcoming show on Instagram once the, the show promoters avail me that information. And, um, you know, just just keep your ear to the ground. I've got some good things coming. Absolutely. And, I'll and if they, if they listen in, well, well, give me an email. So if they listen in. The yeah, listen it's in, easy. It's, I've, I've got a weird you. one. I won't give you kapunkaart at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Kapunka was my childhood nickname, and being that my art is based on my childhood, I call it Kapunka art. So let's use the easy one. It's my name, <laughs> Reginald Laurent, or Laurent. It's much, much easier for people. It's L-A-U-R-E-N-T at gmail.com. You know, Jamal, it's funny. When you see it on a label, people can say, East St. Laurent, <laughs> but they see it on my name and they just get confused. <laughs> I don't know. You know, hey, it's all good. <laughs> but there's art in my last name. If you look at L-A-U-R-E-N-T, it's actually in my name. So there you go. I was born to be Born to do this. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that was already. Yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate man, thank you. Thank you. This has been fun, man. Uh, what a wonderful afternoon. And now I get back, go to the studio. I'm going to hang out here for a while and look at some of your stuff. But there thank you, you for having me. Thank for you, sure. everybody, for listening. And uh, you know, keep following me on IG. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Reggie Laurent for coming by the studio, hanging out with your boy. Appreciate you. Next week, we got Lanise Howard on the podcast. Look at us, stepping it up, being in the big dogs. Oh, I love it. All my artists out there. I can't say it enough. Take some time away from your studio if you got to. I'm going to be away on vacation. I'm still going to be making that noise, baby. <laughs> making that noise. It's your boy, Jay Barber. I'm going to see you all next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.